You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are in Cuneo. Yeah, I mean, like, for sure, Raw Money's not stopping, uh, stopping the race unless he has to. Um, but he was still being, he was sick, like I say, all day yesterday on the bike and then still sick this morning. Um, so, yeah, in the end, he just, he just couldn't continue. He was, uh, yeah, it was just not happening. So. Le, allora il vino si chiama Mosec eh, sia per il cognome Claudio Mo che anche perché è proprio definito Moscato secco. È un, um, il 70% di Moscato e eh, 30% di Traminer. Quindi sentite proprio yeah. il profumo. Well, Lionel, where are we? Well, where are we? I mean, I don't know if words can do it justice, but the hillside behind me is spectacular, the, the terraces of vines. Oh, wonderful, the hot air balloon is flying. We are in, well, we're not quite in La Mora, but we're very close to La Mora, which is synonymous with Barolo wine. We can actually see the village of Barolo itself. We heard in the, in the opening credits, do we call them that? And we heard certainly from Matt, oh, I can see some mountain bikers as well. Look at that, mountain bikers going in between the vineyards. That's spectacular. We heard Matt Winston Uh, coach, the direct sportif at uh, Team DSM, reflecting on a bad day for them in that their general classification leader, this Giro d'Italia, potential winner of this race, Roman Bardet, is out of the race. He was sick today. Yeah, a Roman bad day, unfortunately. I don't even get that. Roman, Roman Bardet, bad oh, Roman. day. Oh, God, it was so bad. It, was, it went straight over my head. Um... And we also heard from Alessia, our host here at Cascina Pugnane this evening. Um, we are, as we're about to find out from Brian. Brian is allowed, we've budgeted for 75 centiseconds, not centiliters. Um, of that, wine won't, chat, that won't do possibly it. Possibly in each part. But we heard there from Alessia, who has served as a lovely Moscato to start things off tonight for what will no doubt be a bit of an enological feast, treat, Brian, won't it? Yeah, I mean, when you asked Lionel where we were, we're in paradise. We're in the middle of the heartland of Piemonte, Lange. We're looking over you know, from here towards the village of La Mora. We're looking at some of the most important vineyards in Italy, some of the Grand Cru sites, if you want to call it that, but some of the most historical, important vineyards of the Barolo area. And we're sitting right in the middle of it. We're close to Castiglione Faletto. We can see La Mora. We were drove past the sign towards Monforte. I'm actually right now looking down at the winery of Sandrone, which is one of the most important wineries uh, right on this road. Big bike fan. He had a pink, he had a bicycle painted pink on the front lawn of the winery when we went past earlier. Yeah, he's a big bike fan. That might be him in the vineyards <coughs> because it's just yeah. behind his property. Yeah, the two brothers, Luciano and Luca, and Luca is a huge bike freaking uh, very strong guy too he does a lot of work in the vineyard but he also loves to ride his bike and he's definitely been watching the Giro stage today I can promise you I took a picture where I took I made a bit of a video of Brian um, Lionel we went up to, we were taken up to the tower earlier 
um, to, well, get an even better sort of 360-degree panorama of the area. Um, Alessia was pointing out all the various surrounding villages, and I took a, well, I made a video of Brian very much in his element, um, nigh-guarding, as I said on Instagram. It's an intransitive verb. It could probably be a transitive verb. You could nigh-guard something. You could nigh-guard the Giro d'Italia, but you can also just nigh-guard, which, well, well, how would we define that? Should I trademark then? <laughs> Brian, you were pointing out that because of the steep hills, this is basically a, a, a job for the hands, really. This is a manual labour. There's no machinery, really, that can get in there and do, um, do the work. So this industry has not changed in centuries, has it here? No. A lot of these wineries still use horses to do a lot of the vineyard work. It's, it's, it's really hard physical manual labour. The steepness of these hills and... In, in, Often when I come to Piedmont and this, this part of, of the wine-producing area in Piemonte, Lange, you can tell this, this is like an ocean floor. This is really, it looks like sand dunes cover, covered with vines. You know, we also have a lot of limestone, clay, all the important elements of what makes it, wine interesting. But it, is, it looks really like we're sitting at the bottom of the ocean if it wasn't planted with these beautiful and, and what it looks like very, very healthy vines. I think we're way past the 75 centiseconds. We're onto a magnum already, I think. Oh, well, Lionel, that's fine. crack on that's with fine. the tail of the tapper. Well, we had, you were talking about hard physical labour there, um, Brian. There was lots of hard physical labour, both for the break and for the bunch today, uh, because they had this climb at the start, the Colle di Nava, and a break got away going up that climb, Nicola Prodom of AG2R, Pascal Inkhorn of Jumbo Visma, Julius Vandenberg of EF Education, Easy Post, Merco Maestri of Aolo, and Filippo Tagliani of Drone Hopper. And they gained seven minutes on that climb, and we'll find out how they did that in the next part. Well, they did it by riding more quickly than the peloton, of course. I mean, cycling is pretty simple most of the time. And then that gave the peloton a real job to do because the bulk of the rest of the stage was downhill before the rise up to Cuneo here at the finish. Well, not here, but where we were this afternoon. Group Armour, Israel Premier Tech and Quickstep really had to work a lot together. I mean, they were they were doing almost sort of track session um, training on the front of the peloton to bring that gap down. And they were caught in the, well, within sight of the line, really, 500 metres or so. Taliani had actually been dropped a long way before that. Uh, the drone hopper rider, well, he, he must have run out of charge, I guess, with around 90 kilometres to go. But it was really touch and go because the, the gap was coming down uh, in very even chunks. And as I calculated it over the last six or seven kilometres, it was coming down so evenly that the likelihood was that they would be caught on the line. And that is basically what happened. Julius Vandenberg of EF Education took a flyer with about a kilometre and a half to go, but they were all caught. And then came the sprint finish. And well, Old Arnie won yesterday. And today, Old Arnie. Arno Damar won his third stage of the Giro. <laughs> and, uh, well, we'll talk about the sprint as well in the next part. But as you say, Daniel, the other big news of today was that Roman Bardet of DSM is out with uh, stomach issues. Um, that is a real shame for the GC race, and we will discuss that in, well, one of the parts, won't we? We'll get to that amongst all of the wine chat. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast. 
powered by Super Sapiens. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens for sponsoring the cycling podcast. We've been hearing from Christina Scrocher of the University of Verona, and I've been asking her some beginner's questions, really. And one of them was, what sort of terminology should we be using when analysing the blood glucose data? Spikes and rushes? Crashes? Am I just using all the wrong words? About the terminology, we prefer using rushes, and rushes is actually a new feature that we have. And it's actually really cool because it drags your attention to the fact that something actually rushed your glucose, so something happened, and therefore it kind of helps you uh, log in events, log in, and these events can be food events or exercise events or stress or whatever. And this actually helps us uh, put a lot of data in a context and therefore it gets really easier to analyze it if we have the whole context around it. To find out more about Super Sapiens, go to supersapiens.com. Well, chaps, another stage that was characterized really by a breakaway, another transitional stage. Maybe we'll get onto this in a minute, but for my liking, there have been a, a few too many transitional stages in the second week of the Giro. It was exciting today because it came down to the last kilometer and it was a real chase. You know, make no mistake, because there was a, a headwind sorry, a tailwind in the Tanaro Valley down off the Colle di Nava and it was a fast descent off there and that made it really difficult. There aren't as many sprinters teams as there were at the start of the race in Hungary, so resources are dwindling and they were the, the quartet at the front were, were very strong, weren't they? Certainly two of them, um, Julius Vandenberg and Pascal Enkhorn, two strong rulers, um, Maestri and... Uh, Prodom, more, I would say, better known for their climbing abilities. Um, but it was a real battle. It was a real, it was a good match between the peloton and those four, wasn't it? Yeah, but also when you when you look at the layout of this Giro, starting in Sicily and having hard mountain stage, two, really two hard mountain stages in the first part of the race, this is the most, what, the, the Grand Tour with the most climbing meters, it is, and we, we we sort of have to have transitional stages when we if you want to move further towards the area that you like and where we all want to see great bike racing. You know, they have there is a there is a distance to go to head into the mountains, which you do very soon. I think it's lacking stages that incentivize or that just give a little bit of a, a hint, a suggestion, a soupçon that something might happen on general classification. And I think you know if you look at the topography of Italy and you think of how many. T- towns are built on hills and particularly in the south and the center and you know we've maligned this over the last few years the lack of punctures you know Giro used to be famous for its punctures there used to be many stages the kind of stages we see now in Tirreno Adriatico that that characterize that race you know sort of one kilometer two kilometer climbs they might even finish in a bunch print but they might also tease out a little skirmish between general classification riders I think it's I think it's lacked a couple of those yeah I think there's been a lack of that type of interpretation, I think, more than anything from the GC contenders because the stage to potenza was extremely hard. And sometimes I find that the, with the layout of a Grand Tour, especially in the era of Prince Somignan, who was one of the, the race directors here, if you make a parkour too hard, it, it doesn't necessarily 
mean that there'll be quality racing and attacking all over. Sometimes an easier race layout will actually give you a better quality but type of racing. one kilometer uphill at the end of a stage does not make a, a, a significantly more difficult stage. I just think that if you look at the Vuelta over the last few years, it's a very different brand of racing to the, the brand of racing that we're seeing here in Italy. What do you think, Lionel? Well, I suppose it, what really counts is what we're transitioning to. If we're transitioning to an absolutely incredible final week of the Giro, then we'll look back at these stages and think, well, thank goodness it wasn't all done and dusted. If we're transitioning to a, a race that kind of breaks down into maybe one or two contenders over the next couple of stages and then is more or less done and dusted with the first big climbs of next week, then it would be unfortunate. I get what you're saying, the vueltification of the Giro, but then what? you know why not let the Giro have its own character slightly different character I thought today's race on its own was it's, really absorbing as was um as was yesterday's and just I know that the lack of a GC it's divorced from the GC battle it's it two is. completely different races every day it's a race well the GC race has been on pause for a few days yeah, but they and still, have, they still state, have to do the one day classics yep yes but they still have to you know fight to to get through these really warm stages they they still have to race the distance they still have to do all the climbing meters you know some hidden some not and all of that the accumulation of fatigue the heat and all of that will have an influence it's true on, it's on true the last but that doesn't translate that well to the lay spectator does it and i mean i, I would say also well, there are stage too race. many there are too many riders on general classification who are very happy with status quo there there are so many riders still in contention in theory to win this Giro d'Italia and there's no one there who is in a, a position of desperation where they need to do something well I mean I think that there's room in the calendar for a grand tour that has uh, oh, a, smiling. A, a period of uh, I know you're playing devil's advocate I'm not, I'm not, actually, not? Oh, I'm okay. not really. but if you think of a cricket test match you know you might get a, a session or two where really very little is happening and you know there might be a, 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 a sticky partnership at um, batting that not really getting many runs and the bowlers aren't um, getting any joy and you know that's part of the, the you know the rhythm of the match and the grand tours I think you know you have to just take what is served up to a degree I mean I remember Tour de France editions in the 80s where there would be several days where the GC was not even part of the race and I, I yeah I, I think we are one more day like this, if tomorrow there's nothing at all from the GC riders, then I think your complaint is justified. Do you know what I think? I think not that many cycling fans pay attention to the Vuelta and realise and appreciate how good the Vuelta is and how consistently it's dramatic every day and how consistently the general classification is shuffled and shaken. But I think we do a disservice here if we're not careful, to the riders that were in the break, really, really trying to win the stage and oh, yeah. very I'm, nearly pulling it off. And also to I was the... just riffing, Lionel. The big, I was just spinning my wheels over here. Watching those big diesels um, crank up into the big ring, the biggest gear they've got, riding downhill as fast as they can, you know, rolling through. I mean, not rolling through. They were rocking through, weren't they? Um, and it was, it was three or four teams. Um, the collaboration, the desperation... That was worth watching for sure for an hour or so. And there was a moment, I, I thought it was still in the balance coming into the last 5K and I thought they might do it. And I was actually willing them to do it. Not that, you know, I've got any skin in the game, but I thought they deserved to have the chance to fight it out at the finish and they just came up a little bit short. I think this is going to be a, a leitmotiv for the rest of the race. Uh, unfortunately, 
more so after you leave because it'll just be me and Daniel <laughs> arm wrestling about conceptualizing the quality of bike racing. Uh, you know, I'm I'm really taken by every day here, and I I love the racing. I love traveling in Italy, and I already see now Daniel in a. And, and this is not talking about wine because when you evaluate the Giro, you usually give it wine glasses as per the quality of the race looking back to three weeks. And you're already lining up and this won't even be like glasses. This will just be like a small shot glass of, <laughs> of bad tequila listening to you. And, and I'm really more of a half full type glass kind of a guy. Oh, my word. That, Shots uh, fired. <laughs> Shots fired. Um, I just make a... It's an outlook of life that really hinders no, your appreciation. Not, no, it's, uh, that, is absolutely, that is absolutely nonsense, Brian. I'm just, I just allowed myself to, at the end of the third week, to sum up what we've... Uh, sorry, at the end of the second week, to sum up what we've seen over the last few weeks. And if you analyse it, since the last rest day, we've not seen any action in GC. Now, don't try to tell me that that constitutes an, uh, 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 an entertaining week that everyone is going to be satisfied with. I think there have been great days of racing, but on the general classification, I think that it has been a little bit, it could have done with one more stage to just spice things up a little bit. Well, okay, we, so might get, we might get that tomorrow. You never know. Yeah, the stage into two in is, tr is tricky. But then I want to play devil's advocate, and, and I'm not sure if that was what you were doing or not. If there was an abundance of really hard stages before the last very it's hard too hard probably yeah and it would it would suck out the energy and and the possibility for us to see a great showdown which we we have and i agree with that we need that in the last week but if they were all tapped out of energy and and if all the stages have been ridiculously hard it, it would we wouldn't have had that great finale that hopefully no, we all agree we, we all agree that what determines whether a race is hard or not is how it's raced and today was incredibly hard no one's yeah. suggesting that today wasn't hard it's just that it wasn't the kind of terrain to induce to even offer the hint that there might be a kind of gc battle and that's absolutely fine it's just that i think maravenu will probably be a little bit disappointed that there have been a couple of stages that he thought and and stefano Alocchio, the other guys who work on the route they hope thought there might be a little bit more but as i said the reason it it hasn't happened is there are a lot of guys still in contention to win this year and the who are who are afraid of the third week and are happy to wait but for the spectator that's um that's sub-ideal yeah and also we're also missing three anarchists in the sense of how they would approach the race you know simon yates is out correct lopez is out but is out now after today so if some of those riders whose style is very aggressive and sometimes will make an attack on a day where it probably wasn't obvious i think that also has an influence yeah i think that's the most disappointing aspect of the gc is that we've lost riders through um you know not through them losing time because their legs haven't been strong enough we lost them through um misfortune crashes illness um but this battle between the break and the peloton, we don't see such a hell for leather pursuit that often, actually. I mean, we see people caught very close to the line, but usually it's because the peloton's just got their sums right and it's all under control. Um, but that wasn't really the case today because the break was allowed to get a little bit out of hand on that climb. Let's hear from two of the riders who were in that break. First of all, Julius Vandenberg of EF Education, who made a really fine stab at trying to steal it from the other breakaway riders or just, uh, you know, stay out in front just long enough to reach the line. And from Pascal Inkhorn of Jumbo Visma. That was very, very close. You must have thought you had a really good chance there coming into the last couple of K. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. 
I was 100% thinking on, uh, on trying to win, yeah, for sure. When you took a flyer with about 1,500 to go, was that because you thought maybe then the bunch had the upper hand? Yeah, I thought that it's going to be close, and if I have a little gap, then maybe, maybe I, we would have made, or I would have made it. But I got close, and then uh, it was finished. Looked like you were working really well together all day, the four of you. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, Pascal Ekom was really strong, and the other two were, yeah, maybe they were not the best guys for the flat to have uh, have with us. But uh, everybody worked uh, as well together as we. We could, we could hope for, so... It must be a bit of a funny one with the climb so early and then, I know it was uphill towards the finish, but so much downhill, you know, maybe another couple of minutes and it could have got out of hand for the break. Yeah, I think we had a... I spoke with Pascal and we had a good plan with uh, going fast on the climb and he's, he's a better climber than me, so he did, the, he did the biggest part of the climb and I tried to follow as, as best as I could and then on the flat I would also 100% commit and... I think it was a good, uh, was a good, good shot, but ah, it really is a shame that uh, it just didn't work out. That's bike racing. I mean, it comes down to just a few hundred meters in the end. Yeah, for sure, but it doesn't happen often that you have this kind of chance, huh? Try again another day. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> what were you, what were you thinking with a kilometer to go when you still had a few seconds? Uh, with one kilometer to go, I look back, I saw. Uh, we were going to come back with like 5k to go, I thought, yeah, it's still possible. But unfortunately, the last yeah, couple of kilometers, cooperation was not really good or the legs were empty, I don't know. Yeah, we tried full gas with four guys, so yeah, no one to blame. Yeah, it was a short day, yeah. We, we, we made quickly a plan with, uh, with the guys. The hardest day, yeah, yeah it's, of course it's hard, but in the end you also have you, you can smell the victory and that's making it easier. Must confess, chaps, I was rooting for Mirko Maestri in that break. Um, not, as I said earlier, not the best ruler of the four, but he he was on the official Giro podcast the other day, uh, our friends beat on their podcast, and he's got a really interesting story. He started cycling as a teenager in an effort to lose weight he said he had weight problems as a teenager um he also had a nickname paperino which is donald duck basically in english um apparently purportedly because there was a some kind of cuddly donald duck at school or at kindergarten and he always wanted to take it home but then it took on another meaning because i mean donald duck's a bit of a sort of woebegone kind of um, perennially unlucky character isn't he and he mirko maestri described himself in the same vein. He said he was always, you know, suffering setbacks and getting back up. So much so that he promised himself if he ever turned professional, he would get a Donald Duck tattoo, and he has. Where is it? I don't know. Yeah, that's your mission, to find okay. out. If I don't hear that in the podcast after I've gone home, I will be very disappointed. What about the chase then? Let's hear from a couple of riders from Group Armour FDJ. I mean, we've barely even spoken about Arno Demar and his third stage win. Impressive in the sprint. We'll, we'll perhaps deal with the sprint. It was a tired sprint, wasn't it? Did you? I mean, you could tell how hard the day had been. And there was also a cobbled section of about 500 metres as they came to Cuneo, which made them look even more ragged. It was very different visually from a first week sprint. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. And that's because of the intensity of the chase. And well, let's hear from Arno Arno Demar's teammates, Jacopo Guarnieri and Miles Scottson about the chase and, well, sort of lead out. Super rude. The finish line was 
all the last 50k was slightly a happy only wheelie was just like suffering man oh, I had uh, my head rate I think I, I didn't want to wear a head rate band today because I knew I will uh, I should stop for a head shock you know Jacobo, how much of a role did the wind play in that valley, in the Tanaro Valley? Because, I mean, it seemed like a tailwind. Was that one reason yeah, why it was so hard to catch the guys? It was totally tailwind. And sorry, it's really hard to get back on the on the guys in the front, but they were super strong. Eh? They were pushing like hell, and we had to use the whole team. Uh, well, it turned out to be good. And, well, it's another win for Arno. Are you starting to feel the same kind of confidence that you felt a couple of years ago in 2020? But we had already in the start, but obviously from outside it always seems like without victory you don't have confidence, but we had what it takes to, to be there and we knew it was just a matter of, you know, I said in the first day, like, I will, you know, when it started rolling, then it's easier to, to, to let it roll. Uh, you know, I'm usually better over the days and today was a little bit different day, uh, stage compared to a week ago. We had two weeks of uh, racing the legs. Uh, the tempo was okay, but then we had to really go forward to catch the breakaway, so it was really, really hard. Miles, it looked like those four made it really hard for the bunch today. Yeah, it was super hard. Like, I think the, the parkour was like, it was a weird one because on paper, yeah, you could see it would be a sprint, but also you could see it's a good for the breakaway. At what point did you start to worry? Because, I mean, the, the chase was absolutely full on for the last, like, 40, 50k, wasn't it? Uh, I started to worry about the top of the climb. The, the, we started the climb, the gap wasn't too big, and we got to the top, and they had, like, I can't remember, I think it was, like, seven minutes or something, and I went, we have to go really quick here. And I even said to uh, someone in the peloton, about 70k to go, I'm like, this will come back in the last k. And that's what happened, yeah. There was a lot of collaboration between yourselves, Israel, and um, Quickstep as well. I mean, no one was kind of pulling their punches in that chase. Yeah, I think we collaborated well. Like, normally I would wait for, say, the last K to start the lead out, but it would be, I think, a little bit selfish to wait there when everyone, even Quickstep, were using their lead out to, br to bring it back. Like, you, you couldn't worry about saving guys. It was just about bringing it back and... Um, uh, it, was, it was such a hard stage, the, the lead-out wasn't really that important in the end anyway. It was just about getting the break back. And lastly, what's it like chasing when it's downhill for so much of the stage? It's actually really painful in the bunch because you constantly get this run at the bunch, like, OK, it's OK now. And then, uh, yeah, it, like it's really painful for the whole peloton, not just the guys chasing, but when the speed's high, I'm telling you, like, guys in the back of that peloton would have been feeling it today. I say sort of lead out because by the time they'd caught the break, there wasn't really much of a train left. There were sort of one and a half carriages each. Do you know what Jacopo did really well? He used Maestri for 100 metres or so. He was catching Maestri and he slotted nicely into his slipstream and he used it maybe not 100 metres, but um, it, that was that was very canny. And it was a good lead out, wasn't it? And Demar, once he gets a bit of momentum, once he starts winning, he starts to look quite difficult to beat. He's a difficult guy to come around, isn't he? He reminds me a lot of uh, Alessandro Petaki yeah. that way. Also, the, you know, the physical stature, mm. everything. It's and and he famously also had that. You know, when Pitaki or Alejet, as he was called here, was on a roll, he was he pretty much unbeatable. 
Well, I mean, if we're going to talk about boring transitional weeks on the Giro, how about no how one about used five, the word boring? No one used the word boring. Five Pataki wins in a row, which you know used to have. I mean, he used to win like nine, he, ten. He once won thirty-four stages in no, a row. No, he did not. He won twenty-two <laughs> stages in total. I know that because we started from Liguria today, and he's the Ligurian rider with the most stage victories, twenty-two. But he did win nine one year. I mean, that is that is boring. That is absurd. That is boring. Shoot at l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you about our partnership with the clothing company, MAP. Now, a few days ago, quite a long time ago now, back in Catania, Daniel, we met up with um, the people from MAP who were over on a scouting mission here at the Giro d'Italia, and we spoke to one of the founders, Jared Smith, about how the company came about. And it's very difficult to believe that MAP considering where they are now, is one year younger than the cycling podcast. So this is the founder of MAP, well, one of the founders of MAP, Jared Smith. G'day, this is Jared from MAP, and I founded MAP in 2014, along with Ollie Cousins, my business partner, and all started with a bit of a passion in cycling, and I'd been racing for a few years and had a couple of bike teams and had worked in the fashion industry and was really lacking some uh, fashionable cycling apparel out there so Ol and I put our heads together and came up with the first collection and off to Italy we went and created the first range and launched it in October. I'd worked with um, mainly designers for about 18 years. I was actually a fashion model for catwalk and commercial photography and um, I started working closely with designers uh, in Australia. A lot to do with the, uh, the fittings of garments and a lot, I learned a lot about the technical side of um, putting garments together. Yeah, so that sort of led me into meeting Ollie and he was working at Globe. He was a designer there and we, we worked together a lot on projects and actually travelled to Italy and France together for Globe at the time and um, presenting ranges to the sales team and, yeah, just learned a lot about manufacturing, that side of, side of it as well. And I'd also loosely started my own fashion label back in 2000 like creating t-shirts and outerwear and things like that and it was very hard to break into the market and then the, with the passion of cycling and having tried starting my own businesses and brands I was able to launch MAP into uh, the cycling realm having you know not so much competition there and it was a bit easier to launch a brand and it, it just took off from there. È una fetta così, sì, quella destra, grazie. Grazie. È vero che qua la si immerge nel cappuccino? Capita. Una cosa normalissima. Questi liburi sono matti. Allora non la farei. Ok. Chaps, what's the verdict on uh, Focaccia full immersion that we've done this morning? Focaccia in the cappuccino, discussed on yesterday's podcast. We didn't quite believe that it was a thing. It is a thing. Uh, Lionel, I keep calling you Lionel. Brian? We've been canvassing opinion all over Liguria in the last 24 hours and 
it's been confirmed. This is something that people do here. No wonder the Giro d'Italia has not has not judged. Yeah, has not come here for seven years. Well, I'm going to be controversial. I I didn't mind it at all. I thought the combination of the salt and the uh, the cappuccino. I mean, it's not a sweet cappuccino, is it? It hasn't got the chocolate on the top. I wonder if that's deliberate. If you go to Rome and, and they, tell, they can tell you a tourist, they're probably a bit more accepting of, of, of crazy things like this. But usually, if you first of all, like you said earlier today, if you drink a cappuccino at, at the time when we did it, you know, it's, it's already sacrilegious. Your card is already marked, isn't it? Yeah. And I think if you generally... Mm. Cappuccinos for people who are unwell, you know, it's like if you want to, you know, for sick people or people of ill health, that they can sort of, you know, it's almost like being spoon-fed like a baby. Um, well, it, um, is, it is, it's comforting, it's warm, it's creamy, it's soft, the foam, it's a pleasant, very pleasant experience. I don't see why it should be, you know, there should be a hard and fast cut-off. If somebody wants to enjoy a cappuccino in the afternoon, why not? It's, coffee should be this you know, important and relevant slap in the face in the morning, sort of that, that it makes you face up to the reality of, of, of being alive, which you know, is not always that easy. I'm glad Brian has joined our Giro coverage. Um, a man very much after my own heart. I doesn't really believe in pleasant. Um, chaps, we're in Albenga. We're on the Riviera del Ponente, the Ligurian coast, famous for what? In, synonymous with what in cycling? Well, Milan Sanremo, predominantly. And in t- well, perhaps entirely. Uh, Trofeo Laguelia, one of the oldest uh, opening races in, in Europe, usually in mid-February. And one of the, I wouldn't say few, but one of the races that puts out of, I believe, even won twice. People put out there, Lionel, I haven't revealed this to you yet, but our hotel owner from last night, so last night Brian and I were in a different hotel from, from Lionel, our hotel owner is a good friend of Pippo Pozzato's. And... He was telling me that they've shared many good nights out together, many raucous nights out together. Unfortunately, he doesn't remember any of the details of any of them. Um, but Pozzato, yeah, he was very fond of this part of the world. Lived up the coast in Monte Carlo, of course. Won Laguelia three times, I think, um, on multiple occasions. Won San Remo, of course. Um, but you can, you, we're sort of breathing Milan San Remo air today, aren't we? Because the race itself, the stage itself, is almost Milan-San Remo. Well, it's the COVID Milan-San Remo, 2020 Milan-San Remo, in reverse up to Cuneo, over the Colle di Nava. And when I think of San Remo, I just, I don't know why, I had this urge to jump out of my hotel bedroom window this morning when I, without checking out, you know, without paying the bill and just scarpering. I don't know, is that a tradition around here in I think we should do a re-enact- reenactment of that historical event of the Giro in 2001. Yeah, Lionel was referring to the police raid in 2001, which actually stopped the Giro for a, a day. After a stage to Sanremo, won by Pietro Cauchioli, the NAS, the Italian drugs police, descended, and I think all of the team hotels were searched. A huge quantity of pharmaceutical products, some legal, some not, were, were seized, taken away, confiscated. And there were all sorts of stories that surfaced in the subsequent days. Giuseppe Di Grande jumping out of a hotel room window, as you say, Lionel, and sort of being intercepted, sort of being caught by a policeman mid-air as he tried to jump out of a window. A climber, thankfully. Pantani's massa, um, Primo Pregnolato, um, hiding... It sounds like medication. It does, it does. He was either hiding 
drugs in a bush or retrieving hidden drugs from a bush. I remember Giovanni Lombardi, um, who was riding for Telecom, telling me one day that he had spent five hours in his underpants. He's just sitting in the in the hotel lobby in his underpants while the police went through his stuff. But um, the Giro did pause the next day because there was a bit of a, a ride. Well, it was a riders' crisis meeting first of all. Pantani was there, Cipollini was there, very dramatic pictures and it, this lasted for hours and hours to the point that the stage was in, in jeopardy because um, it, was, it was early afternoon by the time they'd stopped talking about what to do and it was the kind of queen stage of that year's Giro, it was supposed to go over the Colle Fauniera and um, it didn't happen. Well chaps, in the intervening 10 or 12 hours, no, not quite that many, eight or nine hours. Has anyone changed their mind about the inimitable Ligurian combination of focaccia and cappuccino? I mean, I, I, was, I was trying to you counter were playing you. Devil's Advocate. You accused me earlier, someone accused me earlier of playing Devil's Advocate. You were, you were saying it was pleasant, it was nice, and you knew that it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I just didn't want to be rude. I mean, they obviously, they're, you know... I, there was I, no one there. No, well, but uh, we can't fair. have all three of us poo-pooing the, the local cuisine. <laughs> to be fair, when we did, when Daniel and I this morning went to buy the focaccia, the, the nice lady in, in, in the bottega said... People are crazy. Yeah, she, we heard it on the package oh, yeah. there. Yeah. Still liguri sono matti. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a great idea, is it? I mean, Especially what, not with the onion one, whatever, which they also dunk. What, whatever next. I know, yeah. Garlic bread in chocolate milk. I mean, what next? Thank you. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to much, well, much more palatable to our taste anyway cuisine this evening because we've just been told by our hosts here that we're having uh, not only... Barolo to drink, but Barolo to eat because we have a risotto al Barolo. Oh, it's being prepared wow. as we speak in wow. the kitchen. I can almost smell it. Roman Bardet likes his wine, doesn't he? What he wouldn't be, what, what he wouldn't give to be here with us this evening. There's no reason why Probably he shouldn't not. be. Yeah, well, that's well true. other than he's got a stomach bug, and I'm not sure I want to spend too much time with him if he's infectious. No, there was some talk today during the stage that Bardet had suffered some kind of heat stroke yesterday, but uh. we believe that wasn't the case. I mean, everything we heard suggests that wasn't the case, and it was, well, a stomach upset and possibly some kind of virus, but really disappointing for the team, for DSM. Uh, they'd, they'd worked brilliantly. They'd got him ready in exactly the way... They wanted, he wanted, he looked in great shape to possibly, well, contend for the victory in this Giro d'Italia. I mean, he'd been pretty much flawless so far in the Giro with it. As we said, when Dainese were not necessarily the most sort of hardened, practiced GC kind of team, not necessarily the most hardened, practiced sprint team either, but the spirit that the, those group of, that group of riders seems to have at the moment is is impressive to behold, but unfortunately, their leader now, well, unfortunately for Bardet's, from Bardet's point of view, their leader is going to be Time and Aaron's man. Can I just say and give you kudos for actually pinpointing all that without using the word process? <laughs> I find that to be very impressive. Shall we hear from Matt Winston, who is running the show at Team DSM, how they are going to react to the disappointing loss of Roman Bardet. We, uh, to be honest, we were um, really in doubt whether he would start the stage or not. Um, that was, yeah, really open. We were just taking it hour by hour. We were hoping for a, an easy start, to be honest, because um, he suffered all day yesterday. 
start, even in the start when the brake was going, he was the last guy in the peloton just kind of almost dropping the wheel. Um, he was sick in the neutral and that's why it kind of continued. Yeah, in the end, he, he just continued to be sick and then he uh, just had to stop in the end. He was just, em- he was just totally empty. And Matt, as his coach, I mean, you, you built up perfectly to this and he was in the condition you wanted him to be in, the condition he wanted to be in. I mean, personally, how do you feel today? Yeah, I mean, it's disappointing. Like, Roman, I really believe he was in super shape. Um, I think we, we proved that, we saw that uh, the other day. It's disappointing, you know. We, uh, we came with, that, with a GC goal, we made no secret about it. And, um, yeah, this time it just, it just wasn't able to come off. But we still have options, you know. We had a good sprint with Alberto. We still have time and ninth on GC. So we're not out of this race yet. And uh, for sure, we're not just going to uh, ride around. The thing is, they're a very pragmatic team, DSM, aren't they? I remember I was talking to Daniel about this uh, during our walk back to the car or walk back from the finish line maybe this evening. Thinking back to the 2020 Tour de France, when you looked at the sum total of their team for the Tour and... They were Sunweb still at that point, weren't they? Um, and you wouldn't have necessarily have thought they were going to have a stellar tour. And yet they ended up being one of the teams of the race. They won stages. Mark Hirsch, had his breakthrough. Soren Kraut Anderson was uh, the breakaway specialist. You know, they punched well above their weight. And they've done stuff with Bardet. And I, that's the most disappointing aspect of this, is that we won't get to see what a kind of fully fit, firing Roman Bardet would do in this Giro when so close overall after you know, so much of the race and, and with so much climbing to come. It is a disappointment. No, I agree. And, and it's also a team that they sort of oscillate between being a breath, a breath of fresh air and being, you know, the Bermuda Triangle of careers or performances. The and Lionel's rucksack of, yeah. <laughs> of World Tour teams. <laughs> performance management. So, so you, I was really hoping to see Badain in, in the final week and I, was, I, I think it's, he's a great, he would be a great addition to a very open end of the, of the Giro. He, he would have made a big difference on the race. So what you're saying is they've got all the right ideas, they've just not necessarily got all the, the wires and the, the equipment in the right pockets in the rucksack of doom. Is that your analogy, Daniel? I've never seen Matt Winston flapping around in, <laughs> in that proverbial rucksack of doom the way you flap around in it every day. No, because, because the rucksack of doom is the total absence of process. I, I beg to differ. But no, I think there's something admirable about their process. You know, they will regroup and go again. And I mean, these are sporting cliches, aren't they? But they they do work. They do work for um, Team DSM. Maybe we'll see uh, uh, Aronsman ride his way a, a bit higher in the GC. I mean, now well, he'll have a clear road in front of him. He won't have to work for anyone. So He's currently 127 down on general classification. He's probably the last rider. He's the real bookend um, in that group of riders who just based on the time gaps, could still potentially win the Giro d'Italia. The next rider down is Wilco Kelderman, who's 2.51, and as we heard yesterday, has really discounted his chances. However, I do think Wilco Kelderman could still be a bit of a Trojan horse. Um, Bora have got three riders with Kelderman in the upper echelons of the general classification. They'll be really interesting to watch this weekend because they are in a position of real strength. They are. I mean, the the forgotten man of the GC, in fact, is the holder of the pink jersey, Juan Pedro Lopez, who we really haven't talked very much about because he's got this slender lead. We don't expect him to win the Giro. It's not quite even the sort of Almeida effect from a couple of years ago because his lead isn't as big. Where do we see him relinquishing the pink jersey? Quickfire question to both of you. Will he still be in pink in Torino tomorrow night? I would say no. Ah, interesting. 
Brian? It would be a wrong answer to say, I hope you're right. But but if he is not, it means that tomorrow the race will be really happening. Exactly, yeah. yeah. On that note, we saw Simon Yates come in very late this evening where he lost quite a lot of time on today's stage. I would suggest, and I've got no information to this effect, but an educated guess would be that he was taking it quite easy today in order to go on the attack tomorrow. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science and Sport. Science and Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the Cycling Podcast. You can get 25% off everything at scienceinsport.com with the code SISCP25. I hope you're paying attention, Daniel, and you're going to remember this code next week when I'm not here or... When you're sending in the adverts from Not Watford? Well, we'll have to have a negotiation about that, won't we? Um, but yes, I, I wonder whether they could capture the flavour of wine, if not the alcohol content of wine, and put it in an energy drink. Well, I don't know. to that, I would like to add that you actually use magnesium and potassium in winemaking and in the, in the vineyard work anyway. So there, there are similarities. Fascinating. Well, there we go. Scienceinsport.com and the code is SISCP25. Just on another couple of bits of business, I mentioned it last night, but I'll mention it again because tomorrow evening, Saturday, our very good friends, Amala Taylor, who uh, provide the theme song for our Giro d'Italia coverage, and it's called Cotze, isn't it, Daniel? And it's it's basically about... Clams. Clams, that's right. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, And also all the other incidental music... Amalitaire will be playing live at the Cavendish Arms in Stockwell, London, and several friends of the podcast are going to be there. It's an 8pm start at the Cavendish Arms. You can find all the details on Amalitaire's Facebook page. Uh, Do go along if you're in the area tomorrow night. And also, we're, well, we're in the, the world capital of wine, it feels like, this evening. A quick mention for our... Giro d'Italia cases of wine, which I think have been flying out of the door, haven't they, Daniel? They have. The Selezione Simpatica, there's a little nod to our great comrade Richard Moore. Of course, he famously used to dub any wine. I mean, this evening he'd be running out of the non-superlatives, wouldn't he? He'd be calling whatever Barola we're about to taste nice and not even pleasant. It would just be nice. But <laughs> um, we did name Chris and... This year's case of wines curated by Greg Andrews of Divine Cellars, uh, La Selezione Simpatica. And you can find details on how to buy that at thecyclingpodcast.com. Can you not, Lionel? You can indeed. And just lastly, we met up with Stacey Snyder last night, didn't we? And she's over here at the Giro d'Italia for a few days. She met up with Joe Dombrowski, the very first recipient of, uh, well, it wasn't quite a cycling podcast mug back then i don't think i'm not sure what the design was but uh that was the origin of the relationship between the cycling podcast and stacy snyder's ceramics and well as everyone will know the batch of Giro d'italia cups and mugs and cappuccino sets all sold out in extremely well short order i mean under a couple of minutes daniel you were presented with because you famously said once that you didn't drink from this is a ceramic on Daniel cup. evening, isn't it? This you, is... you only drink from a glass. And Stacy had commissioned a specially engraved glass with the buffalo motif on. I mean, it's a beautiful object. Stage Surely... thirteen of the Giro d'Italia is bully Daniel, <laughs> La Tapa. <laughs> 
hardly bullying, Daniel, just uh, just joshing, just pulling your leg. But it was a beautiful object, wasn't it, from Stacey, and very thoughtful. It was, extremely thoughtful. Stacey met up with Joe Dombrowski yeah. this morning at the start, and we didn't make it to the start, did we? Um, we had a bit of a disaster well, on... We never intended to go to the start. No, but we also did have a bit of a disaster on the, on the roads, some navigation uh, mishaps, but, yeah, let's gloss over that. We're, um, we're here now. We're here now, that's the important thing. Watch out, so that was a gentleman who I met on the summit of the Colle di Nava, Natale Mazzara, who's in his late 70s. He's been working in healthcare for 58 years. Um, he was there with his team of volunteers. They were actually providing first aid on the race. They were one of the, well, they were um, among the health workers that accompany the Giro d'Italia every day. But they were also taking the opportunity to, well, to protest. And we saw in Albenga this morning lots of bedsheets, lots of banners, um, lots of messages sort of hanging from balconies about the casualty department in Albenga Hospital, which is effectively, well, is, is non-existent now. And this is what well, we, we deduced, didn't we, from just spending a few hours in Albenga, that this is a huge issue there. And uh, Natale, this afternoon on the Colle di Nava, was explained to me that, um, yeah, they hoped the Giro d'Italia would raise some awareness for this issue because they're in a pretty desperate plight at the moment because they have no casualty department and it's a it's a pretty um, well populated area and he told me there are you know there have been cases of people suffering heart attacks and being made to wait 40 minutes for treatment and the wait has been fatal and yeah I really sense their desperation this afternoon we could sense their, their desperation by the sheer volume of those messages this morning in Albenga um, couldn't we Yes, and well, the one thing that I learned today was that all of those ambulance drivers are volunteers, right? Yeah, that's quite often the case in a lot of the smaller communities uh, around Italy. I've always, uh, I have so much respect for people who would take out the time, you know, it's often of really odd hours that they would, you know, volunteer to do ambulance service. And and the healthcare is, you know, Italy is a country with huge population of relatively old people so it really means a lot to them that they're able to to both in emergency and and and, and different you know critical situations that they can deliver chaps before we move on can i just tiptoe towards sheepishly towards corrections corner i don't oh, i don't know if i have to you might you might be able to tell me whether i have made a mistake here or not um muscles and clams are they the same thing in english I don't know. Cotze, I, th- I think they're clams. But I, as you know, I don't really seafood, so I wouldn't know either way. Muscles no, no I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they're the same. No, they're what not the same. Vongolet. Vongo- what are the big black ones? Mussels. Okay. And the little ones with the groove in the shell, that would be a clam, I think. Okay, I'm confused now. Anyway, Cotze is one of the two. Moving on. Moving on. Um, we promised this evening some kind of investigation, a, a few more details, a bit more information about the hypoxic tense hyperbaric chambers why they're banned in italy we're gonna have to postpone that because i made some calls today sent some messages and um well i didn't get very much back but i will have established by tomorrow whether it's right or wrong that 
um, oxygen altitude tents are banned in Italy or not. I if if that- you're not sleeping in an altitude tent by the final week of the Giro, again, <laughs> I will be disappointed. I'll be listening out. Chaps, what I am looking forward to is tomorrow's stage to Torino because it's well, the profile suggests it's going to be a little a mini Piedmontese classic a Piedmontese sort of Liege Baston Liege talking about Piedmontese classics Piedmont is synonymous with some great names in Italian cycling no greater than Fausto Coppi now when the Giro started from Torino last year I went to the uh, Fausto Coppi monument with Herbie Sykes the esteemed author and we did a little feature from there tomorrow the race will pass the monument at 74 kilometers there are also some well, some of the sacred places in Piedmontese cycling, like Superga climb, famous and infamous. Infamous for Marco Pantani's crash in the 1995 Milano-Torino. It's also hosted the finish of Milano-Torino. Famous as well for a, a tragic plane crash in 1949, which killed what was a, a very successful Torino team in Fo- that era. Football team. Football team, sorry. Giro di Calcio again. Giro di Calcio. But going back to Coppi, um, we finished in Cuneo today and Fausto Coppi's most famous exploit, I think most people would agree, was in the Cuneo Pinerolo stage in 1949. It was stage 17. It was the 10th of June 1949. And his exploit that day, uh, almost 150 kilometers on his own to win and win the Giro. He was he hadn't been leading general classification going into that stage. Um, the GC was actually led by Adolfo Leoni. But Coppi turned the Giro upside down and it gave rise to a very famous, almost sporting motto in Italy, um, courtesy of the radio commentator Mario Ferretti, who pronounced the, the mythical words, one man alone leading the race. His jersey is... White and Celeste, his name is Fausto Coppi. It sounds a little bit more poetic in Italian. However, Lionel, this got me thinking about today's Giro del Buffalo. Last year, Richard and I made a bit of a pilgrimage to the house of Alfredo Martini in Sesto Fiorentino, not too far from where Brian lives. Now, Alfredo Martini was a rider in Coppi's era. He went on to become a very, very successful Italian national team manager won six rainbow jerseys, road race rainbow jerseys as the manager of the Italian national team. And, well, he was there in for that Cuneo Pinerolo stage in 1949. In fact, he finished, he finished third that day. And he later said of the stage, that day in Cuneo, it was drizzling. After 50 kilometers, we left the asphalt behind and found ourselves on mountain roads, rough, spiteful, strewn with rocks and holes. On the Colle della Maddalena, Primo Volpi attacked first and rode away on his own. Bartali seemed distracted, fiddling with his brake pads, and he fell to the back of the group. And then, halfway up the climb, suddenly Coppi set off. He never attacked with Bartali on his wheel. His master, Biagio Cavanna, had warned him, you'll never drop that guy uphill. But if he gives you a wheel length or two, go. You're a better time trialist. He'll never catch you. And so, seeing that Bartali wasn't there, Coppi went. First, he overtook Primo Volpi and he rode alone for 192 kilometers. Unheard of. As I said, Lionel, last year, Richard and I went to the home of the late, great Alfredo Martini. Il Giro del Buffalo. Remembering Richard Moore. 
Well, Rich, here we are in Sesto Fiorentino on the route of today's stage. Today's stage is a bit of a, well, it's an homage to Alfredo Martini and to Gino Bartali as well. But we're in Sesto, which is where Alfredo spent all of his life. We're going to meet his grandson in a minute. But we're also now going to go into the house. We've been invited into the house where Alfredo lived for most of his life and where his daughter, Milva, still lives. It's a sort of dormitory town to Florence, isn't it? And it, uh, well, I've been to several of those uh, fairly, fairly unassuming uh, little street. This, but uh, well appointed, elegant. Yeah, well, well appointed and elegant. I agree with, I agree with those descriptions. And so his granddaughter, did you say, we're daughter, missing? daughters. Uh, does she live? Has she lived here for since his death or before? I mean, Italian families tend to live together, don't they? I think she's also spent most of her life here. And, um, yeah, Alfredo also died in this house in 2014. Anyway, let's go and see what is in there. Um, I understand it's a bit of a museum, a bit of a shrine to Alfredo. Well, that was amazing, Daniel. I mean, you, you mentioned before we went in that it was uh, a shrine, uh, but the, the entrance hall is entirely given over to display cabinets, pictures on the wall of Martini, Martini with various Italian champions, awards that he received, books. It was incredible. Uh, I take back what I said about it being uh, sort of unassuming because inside it, it, it felt very kind of plush and there's obviously a lot of work goes into maintaining that, dusting, polishing. There's a lot, a lot to polish in there. I was quite struck by a few of the photographs showed him with people like Marco Pantani and he seemed to always be clutching their face with both hands. And, and from that, you get this sense of a very uh, kind of warm and quite charismatic uh, person. And because he, he was, when I was, saw pictures of me, he looked like a very old man. But he obviously had been around for so long that he had this authority about him. And that comes across in a lot of the pictures. But this, this warmth as well. Well, Daniel, the smell from the kitchen is... Well, I'm, I'm being led there like some kind of cartoon character. I can see the smell coming out towards me. It's wafting under my nostrils. We ought to follow it. I'm off to lick my emotional wounds after the pasting oh, I've taken, goodness. after the pounding I've taken tonight. Wow. We'll build you up again fast with a nice like, glass of Barolo and this absolutely magnificent view. I want to revise my definition of nigh-guarding that I gave at the start of the episode. It's something much more sinister. Something <laughs> much crueler. No, it's not. Anyway, buonasera a tutti. Buonasera. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Burner. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.